Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Well, hello, Overcomer Nation. Thank you for being here. I am Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we're the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. Awesome. Well, we're so excited. We're so excited for the guests that we have on the show today. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest before I tell you who he is, all right? So, he lectures domestically and internationally in the fields of biomechanic, training design, motor learning, speed, and power development. Coach national champions, world champions, Olympic medalists in track and field, and possesses 12 years of experience with NFL player development. Consults regularly with programs of all sport levels in the areas of training and program design. 35 years of coaching experience at the high school, collegiate, and professional level. Boo Shex Snyder is on the call with us today. He will be presenting for Perform Better series all throughout the summer. And I'm super excited to let you know that he will be one of the presenters in Providence, Rhode Island. So, Boo, welcome to the show. Woo. Oh, thank you. It's really happy to be here. Well, I'm super excited. Uh, you know, of course, before we get into the topic that you're going to talk about, which I just think, by the way, guys, please tune in. Uh, if you know somebody that's ever had knee issues or if you have knee issues yourself, uh, or if you want to ever avoid having knee right. issues, right? <laughs> you know, like well, that's everybody, right? right. Uh, make sure you're paying attention to what we talk about today. But uh, before we begin, you know, Boo, could you just tell us a little bit about your history, about you know where it first began, uh, you know, your passion and for helping people in the way that you do? Well, I I always had a passion for coaching. I, I started coaching when I was 19 years old, and uh, I became a high school coach and. Um, I frankly, when I became a high school coach, I was coaching football and, and track and field and cross country in high school and teaching math. And I never thought I would do any of this stuff. I really didn't. I thought I would just do that for 25 years or so and maybe get lucky and become a principal and get a raise at some point in time. And that was it. But I, you know, I, I, I learned a lesson is that if you do good work, people notice. And if you do good work, people um, uh, offer you opportunities uh, to do other things. And and uh, if you're hungry and also are really thirsty about learning about your craft and are willing to experiment and willing to look at things from a different eye point and different uh, kind of out of the box philosophies, then you can accomplish a lot in life. And that's kind of, I guess, what got me going, so to speak. And then from the rest, uh, you know, I get asked all the time, how did you get to be you? And I said, honestly, I just worked and it happened. So I guess in that respect, I was fortunate, I suppose. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of lessons for you, you know, work hard and do good work and amazing things happen, right? Yeah. That, that's what follows. That's the results. Uh, really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, some of the different uh, players or is there a special story? Is there uh, any stories that kind of stand out in your mind more than others uh, with the way that uh, let's, let's go with regards to the topic that you're going to be talking about to perform better. I mean, bringing people back maybe from a knee injury to having uh, a continued successful career. Um, any stories like that, that you'd care to share with our audience today? Yeah, sure. Um, what's interesting is, um, 
you know, I, I never planned to be a rehab person, you know, or claim to have that much knowledge of it. And I make it perfectly clear that I'm a coach more so than a rehab person. But it was it was an interesting story. I had been coaching for a long time. Um, and uh, anyway, um, I get a knock on my door one day at home. And it was a, a young man or an older man, actually, who I had coached in high school. And his son was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And he had torn his ACL. So I get a knock on the door. And uh, I had a real successful career in coaching track and field and speed power athletes and that type of thing. Well, anyway, he knocks on my door and says, uh, my son um, tore his ACL. And uh, he was doing okay, but his rehab is kind of stalled out. And I want you to do his rehab. And I said, well, I really don't do that. And he looked at me and he says, coach, you're going to do this one. You know, so all of a sudden, all of a sudden now, you know, one of my former athletes that I have deep affection for and a lot of respect for whatever is trusting me with his son. So I said to think, well, you know, I'm really not a rehab person, but I'm not. A, I know I'm not dumb either. So I can kind of take what I'm doing with able-bodied athletes and being successful with it and figure out ways to apply those types of principles in the rehab field. And, and, and to make a long story short, that's pretty much what I did. Rather than seeking out the advice of lots of rehab experts in order to get into this, I kind of took what I already knew from the training of able-bodied athletes. And that kind of underlies uh, my basic philosophy of rehab or return to play training is just the fact that you, your starting point is not what an athlete can do now. Your starting point becomes what do we need to be able to do? In other words, what was this athlete capable of doing when they were good, when they were at their best? And how can I modify that type of schedule and bring that down to that level at a particular point? You know, when an athlete normally gets injured, Typically, they go to a physical therapist and the physical therapist is fantastic, you know, and the athletes make really quick progress. But there eventually there comes a point in time when the athlete needs to do things that are much more sports specific and the physical therapist is not a coach. And at the same time, you have this fantastic, phenomenal coach, you know, and this coach can make chicken salad out of you know what. Right. And and. But the coach, as fantastic as the coach might be, she doesn't know how to take her program and bring it down to the level where the athlete is at that debilitated state. So a lot of times there, there's a gap there that kind of exists. And I think the reason why I've maybe been successful is I think I, I do a good job and maybe have an innovative way of filling in the gap, so to speak. No, that's awesome. That's a good uh-huh. point. And it's good that we all recognize the scope and the difference and, you know, where one picks up and another one leaves off and, and how we can all just really work together uh, to create that overall plan. Uh, that's really awesome. Um, I am curious about one thing, you know, because we're kind of talking a little bit about, you know, high school and, you know, working hard and producing good results and, you know, where it leads. Um, was was LSU one of your first big breaks and moving up through the ranks of, you know, working with different, I mean, cause you worked with Olympians and, you know, helped out with the NFL and all kinds of things. But, uh, you know, I was just curious about how that came to be, you know? Well, my first coaching job was high school. And like I said, I never thought I would do anything else. And just to show you how your greatest problem might end up being your greatest blessing uh, I kept getting offers to coach small time college football, you know, at smaller schools. And 
and uh, kept turning those down because I was pretty happy. And then suddenly the administration in my school changed and it wasn't nearly as fun and wasn't nearly as great a work environment. And uh, so the next person who called was a collegiate track job. So I went and it just goes to show you how well, something that turned out to be a negative ended up being quite a positive. And I went there and then I coached at another division one school and I went to a small division one school. It actually was University of Louisiana at Lafayette is what it's called now. It was Southwestern Louisiana back then, a, a mid-major program and had a great head coach who would allow you freedom to do whatever you needed to do with your athletes and your event group. And I ended up having a lot of All-Americans and an NCAA champ at the smaller school. And as I said, if you do good work and have success, people notice. And that's how I ended up at LSU was the op because I had success at the lower ranks. You know, a lot of people point to the success I've had at LSU. And it's very true. It's easy to have that level of success at a place with those types of resources and budgeting and things of that nature. But I didn't get to start there. And I always point out to younger coaches the fact that I didn't start there. And, you know, don't don't look look at what you're doing and look at opportunities to make the best of yourself. And at the same time, I also counsel them when they look at opportunities and jobs, look at the boss and look at the, 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 the leadership of the program. And is that a person who's going to allow you the freedom to do what you need to do to succeed or, or fail on your own terms sometimes even possibly? Really good. You know, Boo, you said that you didn't have a uh, adversity story, but I, I really like that about how your greatest problem can become your greatest blessing, you know? So I really like how sometimes, you know, we all face different adversities and it might be, a, might be at our job. It might be in our personal life or marriage, uh, you know, whatever it might be that's going on. But uh, yeah, that was interesting how it came in and, you know, you're totally happy to stay right where you're at, but uh, it was actually a change in faculty that made it not such a pleasant environment to work in. And I'm sure that was kind of like, oh man, this really stinks right now. And then you wonder where you're going to end up and you want, it just kind of pushes you towards something better, you know? I yeah, mean, it is. You know, and I, and I tell coaches all the time that coaches by profession, your definition, the definition of coaching is problem solving. You know, coaching doesn't go well all the time and it's not supposed to. And a lot of times as a coach, you come up against a problem. Maybe it's a problem reaching an athlete. Maybe it's a problem with a technical issue. Maybe it's a problem with a programming issue. It could be an X and O problem or whatever the case may be. You know, maybe if it's a basketball coach, you can't figure out how to attack a press or or you can't figure out how to periodize this in the weight room. You get all these things and they're all problems that you have to solve. And problems for coaches are like vitamins. Like every time you solve a problem, you just become that much more effective. You become that much more powerful. You become that much stronger uh, as a result of it. And you point to the best coaches and they're the people who have habitually been the best problem solvers and have not formed out their problems, but have actually tackled their problems themselves and, and looked at them with a positive light as an opportunity to improve yourself. You know? That's awesome. Coaches build their problem solving muscles and that's how mm -hmm. we all get better. That's awesome. I, I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, at the upcoming uh, perform better presentation, uh, the title of your session is knee injuries, rehab and return to play planning uh, talks about how you're going to go over um, a systematic step-by-step -step rehabilitation plan for common knee injuries, discuss key principles underlying and supporting the rehabilitation and return to play training with an emphasis on proper redevelopment of speed and power. So you're going to uh, deal with sequencing of training, eccentric work, critical areas to attack and avoid, anatomical limitations, 
Um, you're going to talk about typical timelines for return for top performance. Uh, what previews of that session, you know, what tidbits can you share with us today to kind of uh, just tell some of the people what they might, uh, you know, expect to learn? Well, you know how the, the PB uh, seminars are structured, you know, basically it's uh, two parts, you know, a lecture part and then a practical part. In the lecture part, I'm going to go over some of the basic um, uh, supporting science for the way that I do rehab, which is a little different. And uh, it won't be so much knee-based. It'll be a little more generic. And I think the listeners and the, uh, the people who come to the summit will find a lot of information there that helps with injuries, period, uh, besides knees, you know, hamstrings and ankles and all of the elbows and all of the different types of sports-related types of injuries that people normally encounter and so forth. So I think a lot of good will come out of that as well. So the first part won't be just totally about knees. It'll be basically fundamental uh, uh, scientific um, and science-based uh, philosophical approaches to rehab. And then in the practical session, I'm going to make that strictly knee-oriented where I'm going to take the attendees through the actual progressions that I use in knee rehab. I've been pretty fortunate, you know, when most of the time, well, it's not most of the time, practically all of the time, I've been getting ACL patients back to 100%, four and a half to five months post-surgery. Now, of course, this is sports performance situations now, not general populations, just to clarify. And that's my strength. I don't want to misrepresent myself either. But, uh, but, the timelines that we're hitting are far better than what are happening in a lot of other rehab situations. And I think the, re the reason why is that I kind of approach it more from the standpoint of the nervous system. You know, I look at what was this athlete when they were good, you know, before they got hurt. And they had a nervous system that was better at activating muscle tissue than a normal person. So rather than taking the rehab and looking at it strictly from the standpoint of rehabbing the injury site, I look at it more from a standpoint of how can I get the nervous system back activating muscle tissue the way it was when this athlete was effective. And whereas traditional rehabs, often they wait for the knee to be well before you start that process. I have kind of discovered how you can initiate that process much earlier. And as a result of that, things just move along a lot quicker. So basically, that's what I'll be sharing with the attendees there. Oh, that's good. Uh -huh. Really good. Um, we have people in our, you know, fitness location, we have a fitness franchise and uh, we train a lot of um, older folks that I, I know that they, you know, they go to the doctor and maybe they need surgery. Maybe they don't, maybe the rehab might help. You know, they get a lot of different, uh, maybe to a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? <laughs> you, know <what> <laughs> so, you know, it depends on if they're talking to a surgeon or rehab, but do you feel that there's certain exercises that are more helpful than others? Uh, to people that are struggling with knee pain? Is it eccentric training? Do you have any, uh, I know that there's a lot out there now about knee over toes, you know, people are going crazy in this movement. Do you have like a specific uh, few principles that uh, you'd be willing to share? You know, I, I, for people like that, and one of my basic tenets of rehab is I, I just kind of feel that in rehab range of motion or reestablishing range of motion is important. But I feel that in a lot of traditional rehab programs, it's far overdone to the point where it becomes an irritant. So when it comes to the actual strengthening exercises, what I look for is I look for exercises that can develop as much tension in the muscle and tendon, you know, the supporting muscles and tendons, the, those that support that joint, 
create as much tension as possible, of course, because that's strength building, at the same time with as little flexion and extension as possible. So by minimizing the flexion extension and maximizing the tension values, what you're getting is you're getting more strength building with less irritation. You know, like some people are kind of taking that idea of isometric rehab and applying that in the field right now. What I'm doing is I'm taking that kind of philosophy and bringing it along a little further, even if the eccentric ways, you know, so for example, if you're an athlete and you're an ACL patient, the first thing I get you to do is I try to get you to jump. Now that sounds crazy. Oh, making an ACL patient jump. But if you can picture an athlete on two legs, not one, not just the injured leg, but on two legs and almost practically vibrating in place and possibly not even just barely leaving the ground, you know, you know, maybe jumping where you're actually getting maybe a half inch off the ground and maybe moving two inches forward in a very remedial manner. You see, because of the fact that the knee isn't flexing much with that pogo jump kind of format, the knee isn't flexing much, but you're getting tremendous strength development through the quad into the patellar unit. And because of the fact that there's a minor, very small power component involved with that, then suddenly you're also stimulating the nervous system as well, you see. So I've been able to figure out how to take plyometrics and dumb them down to the very lowest levels where ACL patients can do them, for example. I figured out ways to take weights and dumb them down to the very lowest levels where those, you know, because ultimately when these athletes are really good and training hard, you know, they're lifting and sprinting and jumping and things like that. So that's the whole philosophy. How can I dumb down sprinting and lifting and jumping to that point where that athlete is at that particular point, you know? And like I said, that philosophy of minimizing the range of motion and limiting the range of motion exercises that they experience is a little different, but it's helped me a lot. And it's helped my patients a lot, my clients a lot. Well, thank you for giving that example. I was thinking that for people that are, are fitness enthusiasts out there listening, they're going to be thinking, okay, so what is that that limits knee flexion and extension, but creates that constant, uh, that tension, right? So uh, those very short remedial jumps would be an example of that. Uh, is yeah. it, and it, now for, if I'm going to be an attendee at Perform Better, and I uh, want to know maybe what we'll get to do in the hands-on session, we'll be getting to do some of those types of things. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I'll take you through the whole progression from the first, first day, you know, when you aren't very mobile and can't do much up until the very end. So, and I'll show you how to sequence it and, you know, when you can move forward and the basic markers that you're trying to hit along the way and so forth. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's a very systematic program and, you know, people leave, I've, I've given this talk many. In fact, I gave this talk at the NFL combine, uh, something very similar to NFL Combine not long ago. And people typically leave feeling, you know, yeah, I can do this. This makes sense, you know. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, you, you've had a lot of accomplishments throughout your career. You've been able to impact a lot of people from the NFL to Olympians to, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, athletes that uh, may not be in that that league, but still just as important. Um, you know, what are some of those uh, accomplishments that, you know, stand out in your mind that, uh you know, just make you feel good about the impact that you've been making? Well, if you're going to ask about my impact, the thing I'm most proud of is the hundreds or maybe thousands of coaches that I've mentored along the way, much more so than the trophies. You know, I have a long list of coaches who 
you know, that I was able to kind of help them when they got started and they're out do they're doing fantastic work. I've had a heavy involvement in coaching education, both formal programs and informally. And I'm probably more proud of my mentorees than our or mentees, I'm not sure the grammatically correct term, but the coaches that I've helped along the way. And when I look at them and their work and the uh, the, the the effectiveness that they're having and the positive things that they're doing, uh, I'm more proud of that than anything else, to, to, be, to be very frank. Uh, you know, if you help an athlete, you help the person. That's fantastic. But if you help a coach, you will help hundreds of people. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That, that's so that's good. good. That's so good. I think that we feel that way as franchisors. It used to be that we just got to help clients and we helped them one at a time or maybe in a group, you know, but, uh, you know, as we got further along where we could help coaches become coaches and people uh, go out and start their own business in a community, we're like, wow, now we get to impact the community. So I can definitely mm-hmm. relate to what you're mm-hmm. saying there. Um, is there, you know, speaking of helping coaches, is there something that you, you like, especially with your area of expertise, you know, once we get an area of expertise and we want to help people and we want people to know what we know, um, there's sometimes things that you just kind of drive you a little crazy. You just wish more coaches knew. I, I don't know if anything comes to mind when you're talking about that, um, but uh, anything that kind of jumps out? Yeah, there? well, I, I think I've already, you know, ultimately the the, the role model or, or the, the, the template for a rehab is what was this person doing when they were good? You know, mm-hmm. I, I just see so often like, um, and, and not to bash or whatever, but like, for example, uh, this uh, quarterback person, you know, his rehab is kind of stalled. And what are you doing? Well, yesterday we did a mile on the treadmill. Well, I would never put a healthy quarterback on the treadmill for a mile as part of their training. It's not what quarterbacks do. It's not what they're supposed to do in order to be good at quarterbacking. You know, so the idea of specificity is the thing that we ultimately have to define, you know, specificity as far as the appearance of the movement, specificity as far as the loading on the tissues and so forth, you know. And the other thing is understanding the value of intensity in a rehab. You know, when I use the word intensity, sometimes red flags go up, but ultimately progressing intensity in rehab is what you have to do. Not haphazardly, of course, but, you know, carefully and very progressively. And a lot of times in rehab, you know, a, a kid can do 10 repetitions and, oh, that's great. Well, today they can do 20 repetitions, so they're much better. No, not really. They're not much better because if the repetitions aren't more intense than they were the day before, then you're not progressing yourself toward reintroducing that athlete to a very intense sport, to an intense practice environment and intense playing environment. You know, so ultimately sports are intense. So bringing along intensity rather than the volumes is the most important variable that we see or or should consider most the, the, the variable we should consider most important, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Really good. Mm. Really good. You fall, we fall into the trap of volume based, you know, we can do more, therefore we're better, but that isn't necessarily the case. You know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's fool's goal. Yeah. I, I like it. Uh, the specificity, are we connecting the dots? Are we, you know, looking to help this player do what they were once doing or, you know, what is uh, essential for their sport? Or are we just kind of, you know, having a different meter and, you know, I guess we have to, we have to check that, you know, what are we measuring this with? Really good. Really good. Um, you know, you've just shared so much and I really appreciate your time. Uh, curious if there's uh, ways where people can learn more from you. Uh, what are those best resources where people can go to different uh, 
websites? I'll, I believe in mentorship, and you can always email me directly. If you go to my website, Saxspeed, S-A-C, Shrek Snyder Athletic Consulting, saxspeed.com, and you can uh, email me through my website. And anybody who knows me will tell you I'm very good at getting back to people. So if there's any way that I can help or whatever, just contact me directly. Awesome. Awesome. There's some resources on the website that you can grab to, you know, articles and things like that you might find interesting. Yeah, I found some articles and videos and uh, I'll definitely put that website in the show notes and uh, that contact information because I know that this will probably leave our listeners with some questions and uh, they'll want to reach out. Uh, And also, don't forget, uh, so which Perform Betters will you be at? There's, uh, will you be in Chicago as well or? No, only Providence. Um, okay. I have athletes in the track and field world championships, and uh, and um, it kind of limited my schedule a little bit. So, okay. Mr. being the nicest guy in the world outside of you two people, uh, um, was nice enough to put me in the Providence, the one that I was actually able to attend. So That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, I'll also be doing some speaking for them at the uh, NSCA convention uh, right down the road in New Orleans in a few weeks. Oh, that's awesome. Terrific. Terrific. So uh, last weekend in August, for those of you that would like to attend the Perform Better Conference, it's uh, it's going to be a great conference with an awesome lineup of speakers, including Boo, where there's lots for us to learn. So, uh, Boo, thank you so much for being yeah. on the show. Oh, my pleasure. And um, I always enjoy those conferences because I spend all outside of the time I spend speaking, you know, from the time I get there, to, I'm always listening to the other speakers and I always, you always get so much out of them there. There's some of the best things out there for professional development and the professional better people are just such great people. You know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They only choose the very best. And uh, I've often said that a conversation with a single person can be worth more than years of education. And, and you get <laughs> that today. so thank you. Thank you for that. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com.